0: private journey with Jesus is just the beginning. Connecting with others intensifies our light. Together we bring hope to the world, Christ, you, me, collab. You, me, collab. This series that comes to us out of the book of Philippians uh, is designed to help us see what it is that the Apostle Paul was picking up on in these major themes of this letter that he wrote to the Philippian church. And collaboration with each other and collaboration with God is the central theme of this whole letter that was written from a time when Paul was in jail, a time when Paul was in jail. And when we talk about fasting and focusing, we can see that Paul's greatest works in these letters came to us, the church, from a time of intense focus when he was separated from everything else, but he could still write, he still had the ability to write to the church and we have the advantage of those letters. Today I'm calling my message, uh, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. There's always gonna be struggles, isn't there? There's always gonna be a challenge that comes our way when it comes to our faith life. Life is a challenge in many respects, but for us as Christians, we are walking this journey towards eternity, knowing full well that there will be challenging times that will come our way. We don't live as Christians in a bubble, immune or separated out from challenges. But we are called to, in our suffering and in our challenges, keep the faith. And the Apostle Paul says in the book of Timothy, says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Uh, just recently, we know that Pastor Jim Hearn passed away, and it's a sad loss to us. We, we miss having him here. And, um, and yet there was a tremendous example for us, uh, particularly for myself, of a man who kept the faith right through to the end. And for us, that's a great example of what I'm talking about here this morning. I have kept the faith. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of challenges, having kept the faith is a critical part of our lifelong journey. There's no point keeping the faith for two-thirds of your life and then giving it away. There's no point in walking and working with the Lord and then just to surrender this because we've come into some times of trouble or inconvenience. So let's see what Paul says in this passage from last week because we need to build a context here. This is the passage from last week, and uh, then we'll go from there. Paul says... but Amen. What Paul had been describing prior to these verses is all of the trophies that he'd accumulated over his lifetime as being a spiritual leader in his community. You know, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As for, as for a religious zeal, perfect. He, he pursued even the church in its early day because he was against the things of Jesus. But now he says, "'I consider all of them rubbish.'" garbage, as Eugene Peterson said in his translation at The Message, he said, dog dung. That's what he considers them to be, dog dung. And so we get the impression here, of course, without even to really, uh, well, we really do take the hint, don't we, that Paul is saying, all of what I used to count as my trophy, my trophies within my trophy cabinet, I now see them as rubbish, all for the sake of knowing Christ, And knowing Christ is not about knowing him and accumulating a whole lot more trophies. We only have one trophy as Christians. We only have one trophy, and that is the cross. That's the only trophy we can have. Paul said, I confess to know nothing, nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's as simple as that. What do you know, Paul? What are your trophies? Well, I only have one trophy. This is all I know, is that Jesus Christ was crucified for my sin and and raised from the dead. Paul only has one trophy, and we only have one trophy, and it is the only trophy that we need. It is the only trophy that we need. But Paul, after having talked about this, this giving away of trophies, having talked about giving away all the things that have meant so much to him in the past and putting them in the rubbish bin, Paul then goes on to say something that should really arrest us, should really capture our attention and cause us to go, whoa, this faith is a bigger, harder journey than I ever expected. When Paul says this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Whoa, hold on who put those in the rule book. I thought we came to Jesus to be blessed. I thought we came to be encouraged and strengthened and raised up, to be covered in blessing. And yet Paul says, he's pressing into the sufferings of Christ. When we look at the big picture of the story of the gospel, it's so easy to lose ourselves in one side of it or the other. And if you can imagine this story, this linear story that goes in front of us, We see Christ in his life. We see the stories and the miracles and the persecution that he was suffering in his three and a half years of ministry. And then we see how it is that he was taken to the cross, beaten, put on trial, illegally judged and illegally murdered. And then we have the cross event itself. And then three days later, we have the resurrection. And then some days, 50 days after that, we have Pentecost, And we look at these two sides of this story and we see resurrection and power, but we see suffering and loss on this side. And it's very easy as Christians to go, I'm looking at the story, I want this stuff and I don't want this stuff. Is that fair to say? That's human nature, isn't it? We're all like that. Of course we would. We'd much rather have this joy and this power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we'd like to forget that this suffering part, this persecution part, even exists in the story. In fact, in different schools of thinking, for some, as soon as we enter up in a time of suffering or disappointment, uh, we rebuke that because we think this must be of the devil and not of the Lord. And if you have a theology that says that suffering and struggles at different times aren't part of your human experience as a legitimate part of your Christian faith, then you will ultimately suffer at this end because you won't fully recognize what God is doing in you. And this is the challenge that we we all face because suffering and resurrection go together. You can't experience resurrection without suffering. Does that make sense? Sorry to say, but it does, doesn't it? You can't experience resurrection without death. Paul, of course, uh, lived this life in a way where he understood what persecution was because he was the persecutor, initially, of the church. As we know, he went around arresting people, putting them in jail, And, and, and as followers of Jesus, these folks were persecuted by Paul. Paul now gets on the other side of this when he becomes a Christian and he finds himself now in trouble. Let's read what happened to Paul from 2 Corinthians 6. We put no stumbling block in anybody's path, Paul says, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything all of these tensions that Paul is talking about here the very last one sort of captures it doesn't it when he says uh, having nothing and yet possessing everything having nothing but yet possessing everything the suffering is a significant part of the journey of a christian it's not something we aspire to it's not something we seek But it is something that we need to factor into our life because unless we have a theology of suffering, a theology of pain, in other words, the ability to understand that loss comes, we will not be able to interpret the fullness of what God is doing in our lives. And we will ultimately reject the God who is leading us through a time of testing, a time of challenge. And then when we get to the point where we're being tested and challenged more than we can bear, we ultimately judge God and say, God, you are no good. God, you don't exist. God, you are against me, not for me. And so suffering has always been factored into the Christian gospel right from the very early parts of what it means to be Christian. We see it in Jesus' life. He said, you will know trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we will know trouble. And unless we have an understanding that this is truth for us as as Christians, then we will dismiss our faith at the time when trouble comes. When trouble comes, this is when faith is tested. When trouble comes, this is when we learn patience, long-suffering, and endurance. All those different things that are called the fruit of the Spirit, the ones that we like to overlook or think that we've already somehow pre-qualified and don't need to be tested on those. We would like that, wouldn't we? To think that long-suffering, patience and endurance, we just pass those somehow accidentally. We don't need to be tested through those. A uh, a (coughs) well-known Christian writer, Catholic priest by the name of Henri Nouwen, um, wrote these few words here regarding suffering. And I'll tell you a little bit more about his story in a moment. But let's read this. Nouwen says, Joyful persons do not necessarily make jokes, laugh, or even smile. They're not people with an optimistic outlook on life who always relativise, that means water down, the seriousness of a moment or an event. No joyful persons see with open eyes the hard reality of human existence and at the same time are not imprisoned by it. They have no illusion about the evil powers that roam around looking for someone to devour. But they are also... But they, also, but they also know that death has no final power. They suffer with those who suffer, yet they do not hold on to suffering. They point beyond it to an everlasting peace. Amen. Final line. They suffer with those who suffer, yet they do not hold on to suffering. They point beyond it to an everlasting peace. What on is saying is that we need to have hold of, hold of a, a, a worldview that says eternity is where we're going to end up. And if we think this world is all that there is, then we're going to suffer great loss. Great loss. Now, on himself was a, 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 an academic and a philosopher, and he lectured for two decades at Notre Dame uh, um, University. But he took himself out of that work, and he went to Canada to a, a home a hospital called Lache. And Lache, what they do is they look after the, 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 uh, the most despairing of people. People have no ability, no cognitive function, no capacity to look after themselves. Uh, often brain dead or near brain dead, but he took himself into this environment where he worked for many years. And there he was assigned different people whom he became the caregiver. And he wrote a book. Uh, concerning a, a young man called Adam. And with Adam, he had to get him out of bed, had to take him to the toilet, he had to wash him, he had to shave him, he had to feed him, he used to comb his hair, he'd make him comfortable, and then Adam would lie there. He had very little cognitive ability. And this would happen day in, day out, day in, day out, just this repetition And for on, he said, this repetition of care, caring for those who can't care for themselves, became in itself for him a spiritual discipline of loving on Jesus. A spiritual discipline of loving on Jesus. Because he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Jesus said that. And so for on, to come out of this world of academia where he was a celebrated lecturer and author and put himself into this position... This was something that he did out of choice because he needed to engage in the world of suffering. He knew that that was something that was missing from his life. The Apostle Peter put it in this way. He said, "'Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal "'that has come on you to test you, "'as though something strange were happening to you. "'But rejoice,' inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When his glory is revealed. It's, it's a strange thing here for, the, for, for, I shouldn't use that word strange, but Peter talks about um, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't, shouldn't think that something strange is happening to us when we go through difficulties. But we do. Because our first response when some difficulty strikes us, maybe there's some health problems or financial problems or relationship problems when they come your way, we first of all, our first response is to go, Lord, why me? What have I done to deserve this? And we live very much as Christians in a cause and effect world, don't we? If this is the effect, this is where I am, what's caused this? That's the question that we ask either consciously or subconsciously. What have I done to deserve this? Surely I've been faithful. Surely I've been good as I possibly can be. Surely I've served. Surely I've loved. Surely I've worshipped. And yet I seem to be given this really, really difficult time right now. The Apostle Peter says, hey, look, don't act as if something weird or strange is happening to you. Don't be surprised. This is the life that we're called to live because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And when we see opportunities for love, when we see beauty, when we see the magnificence of God, these are the things that we should be celebrating as exceptions when we live in a broken world. But our life is built around trying to create as much comfort as possible and ignoring the brokenness of life and trying to to medicate against it in some way. Isn't that true? It's true, isn't it? And as Christians, because we know that God loves us and is for us, we think that any time that there's a problem, then something is broken within the covenant. Something, there's a hole in the roof somehow, and something ugly and horrible is getting in. That's not, the, that's not the case at all. How do we learn perseverance? How do we learn long-suffering? How do we learn patience unless we're tested with perseverance, long-suffering, and patience? And if these are deemed to be the fruit of the Spirit, then these are the things that are going to be worked into our lives like anything else in our lives. It's a real hard challenge for us, but to be tested is exactly what our faith will be. You know, you see these adverts on television for different vehicles. And whenever there's an advert for a four-wheel drive vehicle, you got it going over the beach, over through rivers, through rivers, and uh up, up banks and all this sort of rough stuff don't you and the reason why they show us these vehicles driving in these conditions is because they want to prove to you that these these vehicles have been tested in trying times so therefore you can buy with confidence what this vehicle and it will serve you well because it's been tested you can have faith in its ability to get from a to b over difficult terrain Make sense? Of course it does. We have confidence when we see adverts like this. But it doesn't mean that, uh, uh, sorry, this means also for us that our faith, if it's going to be robust and attractive and build confidence in other people, then they will see, we will see other people's faith being tested equally. As many of you uh, appreciate and you followed our own story as a family a few years ago, we we lost our son-in-law at the age of 25 to leukemia. And I have to admit, when this all started to break out and we realised that he'd gone from having a cold to a diagnosis of something more serious and then acute myeloid leukemia, this was a journey of wow for us. Wow, why? What's going on, God? You know, and I can remember the day after first hearing the diagnosis, of leukaemia and, and knowing that the chances of his survival were less than 10%. I can remember just mowing the lawns and watering them at the same time as I, as I wept. I was like overwhelmed. And all those feelings of, why, why him? Why us? He was, a, he was a great young kid. Always served the Lord. Been involved in worship teams. Worked in a mission for his living. Uh, had, had done everything right. And yet God decided to take him home. This has been a, a, a huge mystery for us. A huge mystery. It's was like a, a huge crowd of people and somehow somebody fired a gun in the air and the bullet fell down and hit Carl. We, we don't understand this. We don't understand the why behind it. And, and yet through it, we've learned a lot. So have a lot of other people grown. And, uh, and in doing so, there have been aspects to our faith that we've learned that we would never have learned without this experience. And yet there's a big price to pay for that and Carl's no longer with us and our daughter is a widow. Patience, perseverance, long-suffering and a reminder that we live in a fallen world. And the Apostle Peter says, Don't think it's, you shouldn't think it's strange when these things happen. And yet it's very easy to think it's strange because you ask the question, why me? Don't we? That's a natural response. But then the fallen world we live in, we should also say, why not me? Why not me? What makes me an exemption? So Paul, talking about suffering here, uh, raises up this question about how it is that he would live with suffering, live in the power of the resurrection, simultaneously, To be a broken, wounded healer is essentially what Paul is describing. For us to be people who understand what it means to to be broken, understand what pain and death looks like, smells like, tastes like, feels like, is a normal part of our human existence. And yet for us, it means that we also have to live in this tension of resurrection power and the suffering. And we have these two things held together in our lives in tension. And then Paul says, This suffering is something that I aspire to so that I might be like Christ. Be like Christ. It's like, wow, that's a really huge goal, isn't it? To say that I want to know the power of God and the suffering of Christ all caught up together so that I might be more like Jesus. But then Paul sort of lets us off the hook a little bit by saying this. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Okay, so Paul's saying, this is the journey we're called to. It's one of knowing Christ and his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. These two things fuse together, which make us whole and complete with the ability to reconcile pain and loss in different circumstances. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, I know this is what I'm aspiring to, but I haven't got there yet. I haven't got there myself. That's kind of liberating in a way, isn't it? Because it's like, wow, Paul, have you really got this together so well? But the apostle Paul says, I haven't got there yet, but I'm getting there. Okay, I'm pressing on. I'm taking hold, and uh, and and then he goes on. To, he goes on to say this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself. To have yet taken hold of it, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Pra- straining towards what is ahead. I just finished reading a book um, written by the polar adventurer, Fiennes, Sir Ranulph Fiennes. He's a, uh, a British guy and he's done some pretty crazy adventures over his lifetime. And one was with a, his companion, Andrew Stroud. They decided that they would circumnavigate the whole globe by going over the North Pole and underneath the South Pole and then back again, do a, the complete circumference of the world. And, um, and it took them a, a long, long time through some incredibly difficult circumstances and they found themselves having achieved this goal. But one of the things that he talks about, I mean, reading this book, you just get an idea of how, how determined he is, how determined he is. And, uh, and the thing that blew me away is, you know, they're, they're here at 50 degrees below zero, you know, eating, putting their clothes on, putting their clothes off, pulling a sled that weighed 220 kilos with all their supplies upon it, you know, And yet he says this comment. He says, um, "I am continuously fighting with my mutinous mind. I am continuously fighting with my mutinous mind." I'm like, I underlined it in the book. I underlined it. Got a pen out, underlined it. Then I realised it wasn't my book, but I underlined it. My mutinous mind. And I thought, oh, Lord, that is me. I have such a mutinous mind. I know the things I want to do, but the things I do, I do not do. Yeah, we've all been there, eh? My mutinous mind. And I know that over the years, you know, when you're doing something, often something physical, and you're going, ah oh, let's go and do this, and you're halfway, you go, no, this is enough where you're struggling at work and your mutinous mind is just saying, give up, give it away. Or when you're going through something really difficult with somebody's health or your finances or your relationships, and you start to form this mutiny in your mind where you say, oh, God is no good. He's not for me. He's against me. Maybe he doesn't even exist. Maybe this is all just rubbish. This is all make-believe. And your mutinous mind starts to take over That's the time when faith is really challenged, isn't it? That's the time when faith becomes faith, when there's no evidence for the faith, but there's only hope and the goodness of God in and through the resurrection. Only when you see the cross of Christ are you reminded of the goodness of God. Your mutinous mind has to be conquered. And I'll throw this in there. This is what we're talking about over the next two days, isn't it? Three days with our prayer and fasting time. We need to overcome our mutinous minds. Firstly, the mutiny which says, who does Craig think he is telling me not to eat? Eh? Hey? Yeah, it's all very well to be part of this church, but you know, I was sit and listen to his sermons, but to get him to tell me what to do, oh, who does he think he is, you know? Doesn't he know I work hard for a living, unlike him? Yeah? He only works for 35 minutes on a Sunday. It's easy for him to go without food. Look at him, he can probably do without a feed or two. Our mutinous minds rally against what is normal for us, our normal patterns. And that's what Paul is calling us to be, people who overcome through our suffering and through the challenges and the testing of our faith. Paul said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the goal. Paul is saying, forgetting what is behind. What is he forgetting? He's forgetting all the trophies in the trophy cabinet. He's taken them, he's put them in the rubbish, remember? He counts them as dog dung. He says, we're not going to count those anymore. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind, I, I press on. Press on to what? towards becoming more Christ-like. Pressing on through suffering, pressing on through challenge, pressing on through change and pain and learning to endure. Because ultimately there's a prize far greater than anything the world is going to give to me. And that is the prize that Christ has for me as I press on heavenwardly. I don't know if that's a good word, but heavenwardly. seems like a direction. That's what this journey is all about. And we need reminding of that. And pain focuses the mind. Suffering brings us to a point where we go, Lord, what is it that you want of me? What is it that really counts? What is it that is going to make a difference in this world and in the next? Many years ago, about 20 years ago, I I had problems with um, stones in my gallbladder. And uh, I can remember being on holiday at Rotuiti uh, with the kids, and I just had this terrible pain. I didn't know what it was. And so I, I get out of bed, and the pain just got worse and worse and worse and worse. So I was just lying on the ground, just clutching my stomach, doing my best not to wake up my family, but thinking that they might find a corpse in the morning. I had no idea what was going on. But one thing I do know is that it focused my mind You found that? Pain focuses your mind. Lord, please forgive me for every little sin that I've committed. (laughs) If this is punishment from the devil, then I may deserve it. But Lord, can I repent of this, of whatever it is? And I went through this process of cleansing my mind and focusing on Jesus. Okay? Probably wasn't the best sort of theology going on there. Um, Ultimately some surgeons helped remove the problem about six months later. But Pain focuses the mind. Loss and suffering focus the mind. And they ask us to step up and take a bigger look at what the world is all about. And we come to this place where we realise that we're being taken on a journey heavenward. My last scripture for today. Second Timothy, Paul in another setting talks about similar things. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here is Paul in victory. Paul's in victory here. Where is he physically? He's in jail. He has suffered, and he is still suffering, but he is in victory. He says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. In light of challenges, in light of suffering, in light of struggles, I have held on, but more importantly, Jesus has held on to me. I have kept the faith. Let's stand for prayer. Father, our greatest goal is to be able to run this race to completion, not run out halfway. And in doing so, Lord, it means that we're called to journey through difficult and challenging times, suffering and loss and pain, all of that pre-resurrection stuff that we saw Jesus enduring is also part of our journey. Not that we want to pursue it, not that we want to be perfected through it. We know our human condition. But Lord, this stuff will come to us. We know it. You've promised it. You said we no trouble. And so God, I just want to pray for everyone here that at the very core of their being, Lord, their faith is robust enough, strong enough, stretched enough, dynamic enough, deep enough, to be able to understand suffering and loss, to be able to recognise that pain is not a persecution. Pain is simply part of our journey together as we become more used to living in a life that is beyond this world, living in a life that is eternity calling us. So, Father, I, I want to pray for all those who are struggling right now, struggling maybe with health, struggling with a sense of disappointment with you, struggling with finances, struggling with emotional, relational breakdowns. And I just want to pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to see that as imperfect as we all are, you are still going to make your way in us and through us. You're still having your way in our lives. And we will get to the end of that journey and we will praise with you that we have kept the faith. So I praise you, Lord, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.